Welcome back to another uh, installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer. And with me today is, uh, can, I, can I use your full name? Uh, yeah, I guess. Okay, uh, Joel, Joel Yanovich? That, that's a good pronunciation. All right, good, Joel. You're also sort of better known on the uh, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe board as Joel Y, W-H-Y. I don't want employers to be uh, searching my name and then finding my postings because I don't think anyone would hire me at that point. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you. Uh, is your last name is it kind of common name or, or your name together, Joel, Joel, Joel Yanovich? Because I know pretty much Carl Mamer is pretty much about the only Carl Mamer in the universe. I think. As far as I know, I am the only Joel Yanovich in the universe as well. All right. Uh, I have looked. I've Googled myself, and I never come up with any name that isn't mine so but i think it's actually a kind of it's not a too unusual name you know poland russia i think so maybe i don't know but i've never found another one. Oh, okay all right and uh but you're not actually you're not in poland are you i i am in los angeles oh cool okay and uh okay can i can i ask what 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 do you do out there i'm an attorney oh okay all right then and and you, you you were in paris recently i got back from Paris on Thursday night, so I'm still quite jet lag. Um, so if I anything I say that's incorrect, I'm going to blame it on the jet lag. Oh, absolutely, cool. Okay, but you, you use a lot of your airport time, I guess, to sort of research this this show. So yeah, and I uh, just to start off with, I I did a lot of research online and looking into it, and I ended up buying a book uh, that pretty much had everything I had found. It, this book is really. Uh, <laughs> They, they just, the people that wrote this did a great job. So I oh, told them I would plug it because I, e- I emailed the author or one of the two authors. And, oh, cool. Um, okay. He was very helpful. So I guess so, wait, we'll, we'll tease him with what, what's your favorite conspiracy. What, what is your favorite conspiracy? Well, my favorite conspiracy, not including anything that you've covered, which okay. is a lot. But this one actually is pretty good. Uh, it's dealing with the Necronomicon uh, and whether or not it is a book that was invented by H.P. Lovecraft in the 1920s or if it is actually an ancient uh, grimoire or book of magic uh, that Lovecraft somehow tapped into and used in his books. Right, okay. And uh, that's how you pronounce it, grim Grimoire? Grim, I, I, I could be wrong. I don't know, because it's one of those, you know, when you play Dungeons & Dragons, it's one of those words you always encounter, and you just go, I don't know how to pronounce that. I never have to pronounce it. You know, you have found a book. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I went with the way I would pronounce it. Maybe it's because I was going to Paris and it sounded kind of French. Oh, okay. But I don't know. Okay. I don't speak French, so it may have nothing to do with French. It was to like, me, it looked French. One of, one of Kurt Vonnegut's books, uh, I forget the book, but there was this uh, sort of Arab character, so oil chic or something like that. And you just kind of see his name in the Vonnegut book and you just go, yeah, whatever his name is. But when you actually sort of stop and just try to figure out what it is, how to pronounce it, it, it sort of resolves his cash drawer. The character's name is actually Cash Drawer, which, which sometimes it, it pays to actually spend a little bit of time trying to figure out how to <laughs> pronounce things, you know. 
that you're. Well, I know I've read many Lovecraft stories where I, you know, you read it and you never actually say the words of yeah. these creatures, and I have, I mean, I don't even know where to begin to try to pronounce some of them. Uh, well, but you're not supposed to, though, are you? Doesn't that that will then? The oh. human tongue can't make those uh, yeah. those syllables, I suppose. Will either drive you crazy or call <laughs> the earthly plane one of these creatures or something. But, Some, something along those lines, yes. All right. I, I just want to find a little bit more about you before we get into this, because um, right. you are you're kind of a regular on the SGU board, and uh, and I got to say you're like one of the nicest listeners, supporters on the SGU boards. You always have nice things to say about the show, and uh, and and that's that's uh, sort of nice. And then I'm like, well, I appreciate that, and I I actually came to. The SGU and the skepticism a lot based on uh, my interest in conspiracies. And so I happened to find, before I, you know, who knew you were, I happened to find the uh, Conspiracy Skeptic podcast, and I, I loved it right away. Oh, okay, thanks. So it was right up my alley. Cool, okay, yeah. So we sort of, you know, these things sort of go, we kind of bat an idea around for about, oh, you know, three or four months before you kind of get on the show. But you're, you're on finally, and... Uh, and uh, cool, okay. So, uh, uh, so the, the, now how do you pronounce that? Just like ne- necro- Necromicon? The Necronomicon. Necronomicon, okay. I've got really bad pronunciation, too. That's all right. I mean, that, that's how I would pronounce it, and I, I think that's the general way the Lovecraftian world pronounces it. But. Oh, okay, okay. And so H.P. Lovecraft, he was kind of, uh, for, for our listeners, I guess, who don't know, and I'm sure this may be only two or three, uh, H.P. Lovecraft, who, who is H.P. Lovecraft, and what did he write? All right, well, Howard Phillips Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, and he's, uh, I would imagine most of your readers know who he is. Um, If I went to the average, you know, even kind of well-read person on the street, I don't think that they would necessarily know him. But for whatever reason, and I have some theories, but he's really big in the skeptic world. If you look on the uh, Skeptic's Guide, the the message board, Mm -hmm. you get a ton of people with avatars that are based on Lovecraft creatures and uh, you know, jokes about Lovecraft, and in general, you make a little joke about you know something Lovecraftian in there, mm-hmm. and people get it. You know, right, but yeah, he's not. You know, he's he's he has pockets of support, but he's never been a real mainstream. Uh, you know, kind of a mainstream writer where everyone everyone's heard of him. Okay. Now, this, I mean, some of his works have been made into like movies or TV shows or, or, or something like that. Uh, yeah, uh, he he's actually the Necronomicon in particular, and then other things that he has done have been in a million different places. I was I just today I was looking for some other pop culture references, and uh, I mean one of the the first ones I ever saw was as a kid the Evil Dead movies. Mm-hmm. That book is you know the Necronomicon. I think yeah it's that's the Necronomicon. Uh, I think it appeared in an episode of House. Uh, I found online someone referenced that there was some case where they had a guy that was into devils and stuff, and they they break into his house and they find the Necronomicon there. Um, but it's it's made its way into a lot of pop culture. If you watch uh, South Park, mm-hmm. uh, there was a uh, three episode three part episode series uh, this season that was all about uh, dealing with Necronomicon and and Lovecraft lore. So. <laughs> No, I I, I, I I download every episode of the South Park, but it's not even striking me as familiar. I'm gonna have to go back and and, and the one with where Kenny like kind of gets this. It's like dealing with Kenny having a superpower of not being able to die. <gasps> right. Yes. Yes. 
that is he's Cthulhu is you know the Cartman kind of takes Cthulhu as his pet. Ah, uh, uh, right. Yes. Okay. It's coming back to me now. Right. I don't know. After after the Walking Dead, it's like just I can't remember any other TV shows. Ever. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to compete with that. Yeah. Right. So uh, so H.P. Lovecraft. So and, and, and so right. So he kind of did write a lot of sort of um, was it kind of gothic gothic horror or. Yeah. I actually took the only time I've ever read Lovecraft in an academic setting. I was an English major in college, and I took a class on Gothic uh, American literature, or just Gothic literature. Mm -hmm. And one of the authors we studied was Lovecraft. Um, And I had this professor who's really just one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. A very strange guy, but a great teacher. And, you know, he would... A lot of people compare Lovecraft to Poe, okay. and Lovecraft is a, was a big fan of Poe, but Lovecraft uh, learned how to read when he was apparently four years old, and he you know, never stopped reading, um, and he really loved Poe, and if you kind of read Lovecraft's stories, I think the writing style and the some of the themes, perhaps, are kind of similar, mm-hmm. um, but Lovecraft had more, much more supernatural slash sci-fi elements to it that Poe didn't have as much of. Okay. And so my the professor the point kind of with the professor was saying you know how does he compare to to Poe Poe's really famous Lovecraft isn't you know is he a good writer or is it just pop crap mm-hmm. and you know uh, he concluded that it was good writing and as do I but mm-hmm. you know, to each their own I suppose okay. um, and I would say I'm not I'm try I'm going to try not to ruin any Lovecraft stories like if you haven't read them if you're listening and you haven't read them. Um, and after you hear all this, you're interested in reading them. I'll try not to ruin too much. <laughs> I would probably recommend starting with uh, one of my favorites is Call of Cthulhu. Right. Okay. Um, and you know that's a good place to start. And all his works in general are very short. Okay. Um, you know, you read them in, in one sitting kind of thing. So. And, and not to be confused with the role playing game by the same name. The role playing game is yeah takes takes its name from the book or from the story Call of Cthulhu. And the role-playing game is completely based on Lovecraft's lore, or uh, what is oftentimes called Cthulhu Mythos, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay, cool. All right. And uh, do, you, do you know who's that uh, podcaster, Bob Price, Robert Price? He does the um, Bible Geek. He, he, he's also on um, – he also co-hosts the podcast um, – drawing a blank here the, the one dj grothy used to do before he went over to uh J, jref uh, uh that the uh that's not skepticality no no not skepticality uh karen stoles no and robert price and and another guy Bell. yeah oh geez i just feel like pulling up putting a bullet in my head <laughs> but we could we could just google them i mean <laughs> nah, I just like the show to just evolve naturally. That sort of like, you know, like just a check. Let's just check just up on Google, and I want to see him a lot smarter than I am. Edit, click. <laughs> oh, you know what, Robert Price? I actually emailed. I think it's this is the guy I actually emailed for this article, and he's the one that had recommended me to the book. Ah, okay. Uh, I'd have to go back and check my notes, but uh, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, and he he responded. He seemed like a nice guy. He just said, you know, with that book, you're pretty much in good hands. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, why you're asking? Because he's he's a he's a big expert on Lovecraft. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah, he's like this. Total, he's like this atheist theologian. Like knows his Bible backwards and forwards. Also loves H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, although, I mean, 
he he did a really good show. I forget which podcast it was on, but he did a really good show about actually H.P. Lovecraft, and, and it, it kind of turned out like H.P. Lovecraft was a bit of a uh, point of inquiry. That's what you're thinking oh, of. It. Sorry, yes, right. Thank you very much. Point of inquiry, right? Yeah, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. He was wasn't he? He was kind of a bit of a racist, though, wasn't he? I mean, when it sort of when it comes down to brass tacks. I mean, you know, yeah. you know, times being what they were, but uh, you know. That's you know that's what it comes down to is you know there, there's a, a famous or kind of infamous poem he wrote and it's terrible frankly if okay. you read if that's the first thing you read by him you would probably never read another another one of his stories but it's it's overtly uh, anti-black you know okay. it's talking about the Negro which uh, and it's and it's, you know basically they're stupid and blah 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 whatever uh, you could look online and find it although I would not. I certainly wouldn't recommend going out of my way to read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only the only real excuse you can kind of come up with that is at the time that would have been a pretty normal way of thinking. But you know, it is what it is, and it's kind of hard to excuse it even in retrospect. But those are the times. So, right, yeah. uh, and uh, just if people don't know, he he was born in 1890, died in 1937. So that's the kind of era he was living in right. uh, in America, in the you know Northeast, which is. I don't know if it was, it may not have been as bad as the South, but it was pretty bad up in New England, mm-hmm. uh, racism was, so. Right, right, yeah. I, I always heard that uh, it's like, uh, uh, you, know, you know, sort of like, sometimes people prefer Southern racism because it, they'll, they'll kind of be, people will be racist to your face, whereas like Northern racism, they'll, you know, they'll smile and be nice to you, but then sort of <laughs> kind of be racist behind your back kind of thing, so. I don't, I, yeah, that, uh, I, I think there's, there's something to that, um. Yeah, I, I I would probably agree with that. In the South, there's you know you're not going to have a lot of uh, Ku Klux Klan meetings up in the North, but there's certainly a lot of racism in the North. Right, yeah. So I mean Canada too, but I think we've got kind of a Northern racism where it might be polite, but then yeah. But uh, anyway, that's I guess neither here nor there. All right. So um so so Lovecraft. So a lot of it. Right. So a lot of his work is kind of. Uh, uh, not demonic, but I mean, because uh, he wasn't into like the you know the devil and, and you know God and angels and stuff like that. But he right, he did his own sort of mythos, his own sort of uh, pan- yeah. Pantheon, right? mm-hmm. He had his own, you know, it, it, and I, a lot of ways his rich is kind of well, you know, if you look at Greek mythology and you have these kind of general themes and characters, you know, different gods that would appear in different stories. Um, you know, maybe that was more of their actual religion, but, you know, if you look back at it as mythology, that's kind of what Lovecraft created. And I think he went, he, he did, he, that's what he was trying to create. Mm -hmm. He would tie his books together. Even if one story had pretty much nothing to do with the other, there would be appearances, uh, different gods, different characters, different, uh, uh, you know, for example, the Necronomicon, I think the Necronomicon appears in, it's, it appears or is referenced in 12 or 13 of, of his different stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have this rich mythology that's created based on all this stuff. There is some contradiction. You know, maybe he didn't have everything in his head about, you know, in, in story X, uh, you know, later on when he wants to do the same idea, he wants to kind of expand upon it. And maybe it doesn't quite fit in the way it did in story X when he writes about it a couple years later in story mm-hmm. Y. But he does try to create a... A common theme or a, a kind of a common uh, a timeline and storyline for his different characters and and creation. So that, of course, is assuming that the Necronomicon is his creation. Okay. Uh, you know, there are there are right, those right. that say yes. not. So. Okay. 
Okay. All right. Yeah, so maybe we'll get into that. So, um, I mean, I guess it's a bit like, uh, you know, say like X-Files where people are like, you know, yeah, it's a fiction, but I think there's something real behind it. So there, there are definitely people out there that would like to think that, you know, the, 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 the Necromicon, say that? Necronomicon. Necronomicon, thank you. The Necronomicon. <laughs> I'm going to say nuclear just because I have listeners that <laughs> I get more hate mail about the way I say nuclear. Than, <laughs> it, 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 I think it's the carryover from George W. Bush. That, that's probably... <laughs> but I, I always point out to them, Mark Chrislip from, uh, um, from Quackcast, Quack. he also says nuclear. And so I, I I feel I'm in good company with Mark. Once I drop Mark Crislip, you know Mark Crislip says nuclear exactly the way I say. If it's good enough for Mark Crislip, exactly. I I agree. It's, it's that, en- that ends all arguments. People just shut up right after that. Oh, Mark Crislip, yes, okay. And I don't think anyone is accusing Doctor Crislip of being a, a big fan of George Bush. So no, that's just true. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. Right. So um, all right. So so right. So uh, so he kind of has this like. Um, almost like a satanic Bible kind of thing. I mean, he, ne- he never actually wrote the book himself, but it's always sort of alluded to, right? Well, okay, so it starts off uh, in 1921. He writes a story, uh, The Nameless City, and where he quotes a book written by the mad Arab or the mad poet Abdul al-Zahred. Okay. That's the name of the guy, Abdul al-Zahred. And so always referred to as a mad poet or uh, a mad Arab. Mm-hmm. Um, and never actually mentions the name of the book, but in 1922, he publishes uh, The Hound, and that's the first book where he actually mentions the Necronomicon, mm-hmm. and he says it's written by the mad Arab Abdul al Hazret. Okay. That's another one of those, those names that, <laughs> when, yes, exactly. until you say it out loud, you're not really entirely sure how it's, uh, how it's pronounced. Right. Um, and so... In that second story, you can you know you kind of draw the conclusion that that's the same book from the first story, and in all the time that the the Necronomicon is mentioned in its different stories, I, I mentioned before there's at least twelve different stories, arguably thirteen where it's referenced. Um, you you're slowly getting a picture about what the book is, mm-hmm. and that picture sometimes kind of changes because it doesn't start off as a book that teaches you magic spells or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the Hound, uh, it deal. This is as as close as I'll come to a spoiler in any of his, his stories. Okay. Uh, there's two thieves who are into supernatural stuff, and they rob the grave of a magician who supposedly had found some very powerful amulet. And the they dig up the grave. They see the amulet. And they recognize the amulet from the Necronomicon because they have a copy of the Necronomicon and they've seen it before. The book doesn't, you know, they're not using the Necronomicon to cast any spells or to, to form any kind of protection from what will eventually come after them. Um, but that's where it's first referenced. And later on, you start to, to get more of an impression that there are spells, uh, that there are. it's going to be used to open up gates to let in what are what are known as the great old ones or the old ones. And uh, when I mentioned earlier Cthulhu, Cthulhu is one of their gods or one of the gods that is mentioned. Um, and so you kind of get the impression that the Necronomicon is, is going to be used to summon him or some kind of connection there. And so in the different stories, it kind of expands. And early on, it's much more supernatural theme. 
in later books, it actually kind of goes well. They're not. They're not. They're not gods. They're not uh, supernatural beings. They're advanced aliens, and that basically this their technology is so advanced that to human beings it would appear as if it's magic. Okay. So you know we've all heard that that quote before about uh, Carl Sagan. Who wrote, who wrote that quote? Uh, no, not Carl Sagan. Um, did childhoods end? Why? As- uh, uh, ABCs of science fiction. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Yes. Why? 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 Arthur C. Clarke of all his books, Childhood's End comes to mind first. Like, you know, at least what, not the Fountains of Paradise. I could have said maybe Fountains of Paradise or something, but I'm sure. Isn't there a there's a Simpsons episode where they kind of reference that with uh, yeah, what's his Bester instead of uh, uh, Ray Bradbury? I'm aware of his work. <laughs> yeah, that that's the one. Uh, you can always go back to the Simpsons. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I've got a friend who I'm always quoting Simpsons to her, and she doesn't actually watch the Simpsons. And she's just like, this guy is really rude to me. What kind of douchebag is this guy? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, it's a Simpsons line. Like, I think she texted me or something, and I just responded like, can't talk eating, which was like a Homer line or something. And, and uh, just, what just sort of means like, you know, man, I'm eating something really good right now. You gotta appreciate this, but you can't. And uh, and she said, thought I was just sort of being mean to her, like I can't talk to you right now. I'm eating. I got more important. Yeah, sometimes you forget that not everyone is a devout Simpsons fan. They should be, but they're not. Exactly. Yeah, we we papered that over, but uh, yeah. Now she kind of just Google's everything I say to her. It's like what? <laughs> That's probably the way to go. If you're not yeah. not into pop culture. Yeah, it's much better that way. So. Um, yeah, what, what were we talking about? Right, so right, so uh, indistinguishable from from magic. So the, yeah, the Arthur Arthur C. Clarke line. Yeah, and so you can uh, you don't know he doesn't specifically say there is no supernatural in it, but you kind of get the impression in those later stories that it's more science fiction based. And there's one story in particular where uh, the gates or something are open based on a complex mathematics. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, you know, it's, it, he, I guess he tried to create a more realistic feel, but frankly, part of, uh, a, lo- a lot of his stories, the, these aren't, you know, reading about a monster coming to attack or anything along those lines. It's generally more about the mood that's created. I kind of compare it to Jaws where, you know, the, the original movie Jaws where the, the robot, the, the little animatronic Jaws never worked. So they would only see a little fin coming up out of the water. You'd only see a little <laughs> glimpse of it. So that's kind of what his books are, where you're, you're, you never get the full picture. And he does that on purpose because it creates a creepier atmosphere. Mm-hmm. He just described the monster to you. Well, okay, that's a monster. You know, he has tentacles instead of feet. Very scary. But right. instead, he kind of just lets you see just enough of it to freak you out and the guy that's giving you the information, the the narrator, oftentimes goes goes mad from the 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 forbidden knowledge or the terrible things he's witnessed. Um, so that's that's kind of the way these Lovecraft stories go. Um, and the Necronomicon is kind of one of those tools that he has in his his uh, you know bag of tricks that he uses to to kind of create this mysterious, you know. Uh, the mysterious setting that he's kind of trying to trying to pull off on his in his stories, which I think he does a good job. I so I kind of get the impression the science fiction theme was put in there because it might 
appeal to certain, you know, it might create a kind of more realistic setting. Mm -hmm. uh, but they all, you know, all the stories kind of feel as realistic as they could be under yeah. circumstances. So. Right, right, right. Now, now, this sort of, uh, you know, this kind of uh, where he's, you know, he, he's sort of giving you little pieces here and there, you know, people begin to sort of piece it together. What is this book that, that, that you know, uh, that kind of, that sort of engenders not only, that sort of not only kind of engenders, um, you know, kind of a, a fanatical following, kind of say like, like token, right? Like, you know, the whole token mythology, you know, he doesn't tell you a, everything and he leaves a lot of sort of gaps to fill in and people try to love to sort of fill that in and pull it all together. And, and, and same thing, I guess with HP Lovecraft, but, but, you know, some people have kind of, I've sort of gone beyond, right? And, and so now, and think that th this is a real book, right? Well, and let me, I'll, I'll kind of set this up for you okay. a little bit even further, because what ends up happening is he starts re referencing the Necronomicon in various different stories and different settings. And he would do so, he would reference, for example, one story he has four books where he mentions. He goes into some guy's house and he sees these four books that, he, that the author or the narrator sees these four books that he recognizes. And two of the books that he sees are, are actual grimoires or are actual books that do exist. So if you're really into the occult and you're reading this story and you see that the narrator has see, seen these books, two of them which are real, you start thinking, wait a minute, uh, the third book and the fourth book must, must be real as well. Mm -hmm. um, the third book he re references is actually a book from someone else's short story. <laughs> And then finally he references the Necronomicon. So you're reading this, and it's understandable that people would be confused. Mm -hmm. And then on top of this, it, to get to further muddy the waters, he starts, he ghostwrites for other people, he edits other people, and he starts to incorporate the Necronomicon and other creatures he's created into their stories, and then friends of his. He, he was a member of this uh, amateur... Uh, what's it called? Uh, the amateur, some amateur press club, where basically it was a group of writers trying to get noticed, trying to get, uh, you know, input in the writing. And he became friends with some of these people, and they would start incorporating in their stories when when they when they he kind of took off a little bit. They would start incorporating the Necronomicon in their stories. So you have a uh, the the guy who wrote Conan uh, became friends with with. Uh, H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Robert E. Howard. Okay. And he incorporates into one of his short stories in Necronomicon. Uh, Robert Bloch, or Block, I don't know how to pronounce his name, who wrote Psycho, the, the you know, the, the famous movie Psycho. Well, he wrote the book, I guess, for that, the story. Mm -hmm. And he incorporated the Necronomicon into one of his books. So you, you it creates this confusion mm -hmm. to the point where, uh, and, you know, they asked H.P. Lovecraft about it. Were they trying to trick people? He has said... In letter after letter, he's he's written uh, you know thousands and thousands of letters that they have, uh, you know, over the years he would he would write to different people, and he said every time when they would write him and ask him, is this a real book? He'd say, no, you know, we we are creating this kind of mythology, right? Because it we're writers, you know? yeah, we're writers, and it seems more realistic, and we yeah. have kind of one. Uh, you know, one giant pool of mythology, and, and Lovecraft, you know, very much approved of other people using his works, just like he would use their works, uh, or you know, little pieces of, it, of their works in his, um, and it would kind of create this, you know, you know, what what is now known as the Cthulhu mythos, right? Okay. Um, which was not 
it's not only Lovecraft's creations, it's all these other people's creations as well that have all incorporated it together. I think, I think they call it like a shared shared world or something, kind of like when writers all sort of, you know, uh, sort of write in kind of one sort of world or something they call it a shared, shared world. It might have been one of the really first sort of shared world sort of multi-author project things. There was, it's pretty common, I guess, on the internet these days. You know, but, uh, yeah, and I'm trying to think, you know, I guess it wouldn't be the same, but I'm sure that there are, you know, Aside from fan fiction that you could find on the internet, you could—I'm sure you can find uh, lo, uh, what's it called, Lord of the Rings, for example. I'm sure that there are stories that are written in that universe, right, right, by other authors afterwards because hey, they loved the book so much and they have ideas, right. right. Um, and so it's—you know—I guess maybe if you're reading uh, comic books and you're, you read the Marvel universe, and so yeah, yeah. Same, you know, villain Spider-Man might fight, might be fought by the Fantastic Four, and they, they would have to create. That would all have to kind of synergize to, to be part of the same universe. So. Right, yes. Um, so it got to a point, and they made a conscious effort not to deceive people. Um, in fact, uh, he was writing a lot of these stories were published in a, a magazine called uh, Weird Tales, mm-hmm. um, which you know was a, basically exactly what it sounds. They published Weird Tales about horror, science fiction, fantasy. And they got so many letters asking them, where can we get a copy of this Necronomicon, that they actually published this little disclaimer in there saying, this is not a real book. It's a book that was invented by Lovecraft. Um, but but that, that's what he has to say, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and one of the, the – tying into other conspiracies, one of the claims is that his father was a Freemason – uh, some Egyptian mason group, and that they had access to this forbidden lore, okay. and that's where Lovecraft's father got the information. Lovecraft's father went mad and was was sent to a, uh, I guess, an insane asylum, okay. and eventually told his son about the book. Now, this all this information comes from one guy who wrote an essay who later came out and said, no, that's not true, I just made it all up. <laughs> had a final, I just had to bang something out. Yeah. Well, you know, he was he was he was a writer. That's what they do. Um, Now, I will say that Lovecraft's father did go insane. He apparently had syphilis. And there is a uh, I guess a uh, condition caused by syphilis where it's you kind of go mad or, you know, affects your brain. It's like one of of those Star Trek monsters that kind of wraps (laughs) around your 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 spine or something or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It does something terrible. And yeah, so his and his grandfather apparently, or his his maternal grandfather apparently, really was a um, a Freemason. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's it. That's the connection. Right. So when you when you start looking for evidence of the Necronomicon, the biggest you know, you always or I, I hope I'm not uh, ruining you know your thunder here. But you always ask, what would it take for you to believe in this? And right. you know, the obvious answer is, I want to see a copy of the damn book. Um, but even more than that, you know, to, to be more realistic, if you can't find a copy of the actual Necronomicon, find me a reference to the Re- Necronomicon that was written prior to 1921. Right, right, right. And no one's come up with one. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's kind of a pretty damning evidence. But so when they asked uh, they asked Lovecraft where did he come up with the idea for the Necronomicon, he said it came to him in a dream, um, which. 
if you read his stories, that, you know, a lot of these kind of uh, alien situations happen when people are dreaming. They kind of go into a dreamlike state and they experience or they, they actually witness, uh, for example, Cthulhu's, uh, his, I don't know what you would call it, where he lives, basically. And it's mm-hmm. this very alien world. Uh, he lives under the under the sea, or he's kind of asleep, half asleep, half dead, mm-hmm. waiting to be reborn. Um, so, he, but Lovecraft very frequently said that he his dreams inspired him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came up with this name, the Necronomicon, and it's been translated uh, from the Greek according to according to um, to Lovecraft himself. It was basically the not the Book of the Dead. Uh, an image of the law of the dead. Okay. Um, but it doesn't, if you, I guess when that people have subsequently tried to translate it and they've said it, the, probably the best translation was a classification of the dead. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of loosely translates to that. Um, my, my, well, my, my favorite part of all okay. this, the Abdul Al has read, uh, the guy who supposedly wrote, wrote this story, first of all, al has read doesn't mean anything in Arabic. It, okay. it, it doesn't make any sense. And secondly, it was a nickname that was given to Lovecraft at around the age of five or six when after he read A Thousand and One Nights ah, and, okay. des- and decided he was a Muslim. Right. So, <laughs> you know, I get, you could say that he dreamed all this even when he was a child and, all, and uh, th- that's how it came to him. So if you want to believe it, you still have kind of that out. You mm-hmm. have that Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, like like come back to Kurt Vonnegut. Like if you sort of read a lot of Kurt Vonnegut and then sort of look at his life, like there's huge numbers of parallels between his his fiction and and you know and his life. Like you know uh, his dad, I think his dad worked for like IBM and or something like that. And and sort of a lot of his books are about you know people who work for these sort of big faceless companies. And you know there's a dog, some Kazakh or something named of a dog, and he had a dog named that. And there's there's a lot of parallels. And but then it's like sort of going well because there's this back you know all these parallels in Vonnegut's life that were true. Therefore you know people can become unstuck in time and you know and uh, time travel and stuff like that. <laughs> you're, you're, the people are kind of making that leap in logic. It, it, it sort of seems. Yeah, I, I think that, well, that had a lot to do with it, but um, I will say, you know, there were, there have been over the years a lot of hoaxes, some, you know, more kind of malicious than others um, that have added, you know, kind of fuel to the fire. So in addition to just having read the books, um, there were, you know, even in Lovecraft's lifetime, someone published a book review of an English translation translation of the Necronomicon. Um, he was a Lovecraft fan, and he published a review, <laughs> kind of as a lark, I guess, in a local newspaper. And I don't think anyone noticed it. Um, you know, if you'd never heard of Lovecraft, you certainly right. wouldn't have heard of the Necronomicon at the time. So, mm-hmm. I was going to say, just for, for for April Fools, I'm on this this foodie community. It's called called Yelp, and uh, and for April Fools, I reviewed like a fake store. It was called Just Day Olds. Where they sell just day old things like day old coffee and day old sushi, day old donuts and day old newspapers. And I wrote this big thing up, and and I accidentally located it in a very bad part of town. And I kept getting women emailing yeah. me, going, "Oh man, I, that sounds awesome! I want to go there." Like like I'm like I'm talking about like oh I'm buying like day old KFC gravy and things like this. And, and I'm like oh no. 
people are going to these women are going to go to this really bad part of town. So. Did you give it a, a favorable review? Yeah, it was a very favorable review. So the next day, I had to sort of go. It's closed. It's I went closed. back there on April first. It's closed. Is this store some kind of joke? <laughs> so. Yeah, I love the fact that yeah, I guess people are going to be you know the people that eat out of the trash. You know, they're not homeless people. That the ones that just still like to eat out of the trash for environmental reasons. <laughs> These were like lawyers and sorry, not to knock your profession, but you know, lawyers and accountants and stuff like that. And they're like, well, I can get my hand on some day- my day old KFC yeah. gravy. <laughs> day- but, yeah. So right to your point that you could right you, people can publish these these sort of uh, parody, right? And pe- people are just going to believe them, too. Like, there was... Yeah. There was a... Uh, it was called Alternative 3, like a British... It was a bit of an April Fool's joke, I think. Uh, sort of like as if the um, the British government's preparing for some disaster and are going to locate people off the planet. And, and like, to this day, there are people that swear that that was... That was, like, a documentary that was accidentally re- released and wasn't supposed to be released to the public and somehow got on the BBC and... So yeah, so this this is kind of even though you can tell people no, it's a joke, they're still going to go. Uh-huh. It it go, always goes back to well, there's this grand secret, well planned out conspiracy, but oh, we accidentally published it on the BBC. Oops, you know <laughs> yeah. that one we would have gotten away with it, but that one little mistake. <laughs> but, but no, there've been I mean, but, but there've been more than just sort of like uh, you know people trying to do like parody reviews. Like people have actually sort of tr- claimed they've you know they have the book. Like people yeah. have written the book, right? Well, uh, I'll say what my my introduction to Lovecraft as a kid, you know, twelve, thirteen years old, and you know, it's all if you re- if you if you see the the book covers. I mean, what thirteen year old kid that's into like gruesome monsters and zombies? You see these great book covers for the old Lovecraft books. And so uh, that's how I kind of got into it, and that's where I learned about the Necronomicon. And my friend bought the Simon – it's called the Simon Necronomicon. Um, It's just called the Necronomicon, but it's called the Simon Necronomicon to distinguish it from – there have been more than a dozen different Necronomicons printed. This is the one that you have probably seen if if you've ever been to a friend's house and they have a book called the Necronomicon Mm -hmm. or the library, the bookstore. It's been around since 1977 it was published. And it's great. It was published originally. It was a, a leather-bound edition, 666 copies made. Wow. I found one on eBay being sold for right now for $666. <laughs> but here's the kicker, free shipping. So, <laughs> you know, call up, you know, Great Cthulhu, $666. Bucks. That, that's a bargain as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, you do have the, 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 the media rate in the States. The U.S. Postal Service has it's like, a, I don't know what it's up to today but back in when i was living in the states in the year you know 2000 2001 it was like you could mail a book from seattle to new york for like under two bucks and it would arrive in two days it was it was the most awesome thing ever yeah you can still you know i i i don't use the physical the snail mail that often but when i do i'm still impressed that it actually works pretty well yeah yeah so i gotta i'll, I'll hand it to the usps so Compared to Canada Post, yeah, don't knock the U.S. Postal Service. Canada Post, just expensive and slow. So I'll just say that. All right. Well, I'll, I'll try not to hold it against you. You can, you can even have to do something wrong, right? We do, something, yeah. Something yeah. worse about Canada than America other than just the weather. <laughs> yes. Um, so Simon is the, a pseudonym. Um, <laughs> and Simon is supposedly the guy who translated the book. 
um, and that wrote the foreword. And we don't know for certain who Simon is. Um, they, there are various people that have been accused in, uh, of being Simon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main culprit or the main person that people mention is some guy, Peter Lavenda, who I had never heard of, who was apparently big in the occult, you know, occult world. But, you know, how many occultists have you ever heard of? So, you know, it's, it's no surprise I've never heard of him. Right. Uh, whether he wrote it or not, I don't know. Um, but we do what we do know is that a Magical Child is the name of a bookstore in New York. I think it was in New York. Mm-hmm. And it was an occult bookstore. And they were supposedly given a, a manuscript, the original manuscript, to translate into English and publish. Mm-hmm. But we're told by the mysterious person who brought them the manuscript that they weren't allowed to show the manuscript to anybody else. Of course, you know. Right, right. Um, so we've never seen the manuscript. All we have is the actual book. And you can, I think you can download it for free online, frankly, if you look around. But if if you want to read it, you can. I I find it incredibly boring. You read the introduction, and it, it makes a lot of these claims about trying to tie Lovecraft with uh, Aleister Crowley, who was a... A very famous occultist around the same time, you know, he, he was alive the same time Lovecraft was alive. Um, not that they were buddies or anything, but he claimed that Crowley and Lovecraft were, are connected because they both dealt extensively with Sumerian culture. Okay. Which is kind of BS because Lovecraft didn't really deal with Sumerian culture, but according to the Simon Economicon, he did. Um, and there's some other claims made in there. They, uh, he claims that Cthulhu, K-U-T-U-L-U, mm-hmm. uh, means man of the underworld in Sumerian. Um, and, you know, Cthulhu, the god, is living under under the sea right now, sleeping. And so you could say, hey, this is an ancient culture. They had this ancient wisdom, and they knew about Cthulhu. Um, the problem, One of the problems with that is that there's no other... Sumerian text that references Cthulhu, except for this Necronomicon. Okay. So you know these are some of the inconsistencies and uh, that that people have kind of that have gone through with a through the book that have found that just they don't add up. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you read through the book, it kind of deals with it, it has magic spells in there, dealing from. Uh, communicating with the dead all the way to improving your sexual prowess. Um, so if, if that's your cup of tea, you might want to pick up a copy of the book, <laughs> form a couple of... Now, these are supposedly very advanced magical spells. So oh, right. if you're a beginner, you may need to go to uh, Idiot's Guide to Magic or something before okay. you get to the advanced books. Be very cautious. Yes. It's like it's like reading the uh, the OT level nine stuff on the internet in Scientology because it yeah you, you can't you, you can't, can't start yeah. there you gotta get your your thedans all exactly. wrapped up properly or something first exactly. gotta work up the what, the rainbow bridge or something like that I don't know maybe that's Norse mythology or something but it's, I think they all intertwine you yeah. know <laughs> one's as good as the other. next one um so. This book has become very famous. It's been, I mean, I, there must have be, you know, millions of these books circulating around that have been sold. And, you know, I don't, I'll be, I'm one of the few people that I've read online that doesn't hate this guy. If I had thought of it first that I could make tons of money by writing this book, right. you know, maybe I would have done it. 
Um, so I don't fault the guy. If he wants to claim it's real and the real text and people want to believe him, I don't, I don't see a ton of harm going on there. Okay. Um, the guys, you know, in, in general, people that are buying these books are, are interested in the occult. So um, I kind of give him a pass to that extent. Um, I kind of wish by now he would have said, oh, by the way, this is all BS or whatever, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found even more interesting is that the people who have come out to attack this book, a lot of them are deeply involved in the occult. So they're not criticizing it because it's not, you know, because magic is nonsense. They're criticizing it because they think this book is nonsense. Right, yeah. <laughs> so one place in particular is the Church of Satan. Um, and for listeners who aren't familiar with the Church of Satan, they're not, this isn't, you know, human sacrifice, devil worshiping. Um, they are, and I'm not an expert, so if, I, if any Satanists out there listening, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I always call Satanism, it's kind of liber- being a libertarian plus magic. Okay. They're, they're, they're kind of church of the subgenius people that maybe take themselves seriously. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think it's a good way of putting it. And if you remember back in the 80s, if you grew up in the 80s watching, like, Oprah yeah, and yeah. Bill Donahue, and they'd always have Anton LaVey, that guy with the, the weird eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was the head of the Church of Satan. He was in uh, uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, Rosemary's Baby. He actually plays Satan in that <laughs> dream kind of sequence where the devil's having sex with Rosemary. Okay. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen the book, if you haven't seen the movie in the last 40 years, you know, I, I, I can ruin it for you. Um, Probably in Demonoid or something. You can download it. Yeah, so... Anyways, this guy who is currently, or at least was at the time, the head of the Church of Satan, or he's the high priest of the Church of Satan, Peter Gilmore, he wrote or compiled uh, kind of an FAQ explaining to people why the, ne- the, the, the Simon Necronomicon is nonsense. And he actually does a really good job okay. uh, of kind of pointing out some of the different things in there that are are you know, total BS. Mm-hmm. Um, he communicated with uh, the former or the current or former owner of Magical Child, that bookstore, who had kind of told them that they kept having people coming into the store trying to buy a copy of this book. So you can kind of put two and two together. Well, we have a you know niche to fill, mm-hmm. and here's an idea. Why don't we write this book? Exactly. People so, are coming and asking for it. Yeah. Yeah. They're literally asking for it. Yeah. So they're asking to be fooled. Um, so they put out they put a book. The, the Church of Satan comes out, but my favorite part of this essay is they finally get to the point where they're saying, "But if you're using this book during your magical rituals, that's okay because uh, basically, Doctor Levey, Anton Levey, had said if if it works for you, then great. So <laughs> apparently, you can use whatever, and okay. it supposedly works as long as you do your rituals or whatever. I, I don't know enough about that, but. Um, but they do otherwise do a good job of, of kind of uh, discrediting the Simon, uh, the Simon, Simon Necronomicon. And I think, yes, it was the Necronomicon was already believed to be real before that. But I think the Simon Necronomicon kind of injected steroids into that, that urban legend. Um, because it really, that's, that is the book that I, I know when I was a kid and I wasn't sure if it was a real book or not. And we kind of assumed that must be the real one. And you know, we didn't think much much of it at the time until later on. I kind of looked at, looked into it, um, and 
you know, again, Lovecraft is an emphatic that he that he invented the story or invented the book. You know, uh, maybe wrap up a bit. Um, is it Love, Lovecraft? Did, did he ever? Uh, did he ever kind of attain commercial success in his time, or was he kind of one of these like, like uh, you know, like Philip K. Dick is? You know, I mean, his books are all being made into movies these days. But you know, during his time, you know, Philip K. Dick wasn't, you know, wasn't hugely successful. Uh, what about Lovecraft? I mean, is he? He was not. I mean, he was never was mainstream. He did. Have you know he definitely made some impact. He he had his followers, he had his fans, um, but frankly, if it hadn't been for the work of a couple of people that were really diehard fans that kept his work alive, I don't know that any of us would have heard of him. Um, you know, he's published in these very obscure kind of magazines. You know that uh, that otherwise, you know, I I kind of get the impression that we would have lost him and lost his work if it had not been. You know, for what happened well after his death. Mm-hmm. While he was alive, he he was poor. Um, he kind of came from a rich, uh, rich family. But when his father died, and um, you know, his they were kind of living off of the existing wealth. And he, I don't think he died completely broke, but he he certainly wasn't rich and famous. Okay. So, if that answers your question, you know, he he wasn't. He wasn't a failed writer, but he, he he also wasn't making a great living off of it either. Okay, cool. All right, and uh, see, let, me get, let me get a few more biographical details about you. Got to oh, ask wait, you I got, well, oh, one more you, thing. I, okay, I sure. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I found a website called Bill Gates and the Illuminati Conspiracy. <laughs> you can look up online, and they have a tie between Microsoft Windows and the Necronomicon. Oh, really? So, okay. I loved it. Okay. I is, is it is it parody or is it? I don't think so. And you, you, you look at the website and it has that bright yellow font and this ugly background. It's too ugly to be parody. It, okay. It's got to be someone that really ble- – and it's, you read it and it's not – it's so compl- complicated that uh, it's not funny enough to be parody either. Um, something about the law of fives that are discovered in the Necronomicon and that Microsoft Windows has a limit of a five-window device context. I don't know what that means. But apparently, H.P. Lovecraft, Bill Gates, tied together, devil-worshipping Necronomicon. Wow, there you go. Okay, I'll have to check that out. There, there was a long time ago, in the early days of the internet, there was some crazy woman. I think she I think she might have been like a contractor at Microsoft or something. And... and uh, and she'd go by the nickname of Red Rose or something like that, and and she had all these weird you know, Usenet postings about you know Bill Gates and all these weird sex orgies and you know taking people's babies and just just completely crazy. This woman, like she she must have kind of got injured or gone crazy while working at Microsoft and just sort of thought, you know, um, nobody's helping me. Uh, Bill Gates is evil or something like that. Was it one of the, like, during, like, the devil-worshipping kind of craze of the 80s? Or? Sorry, I dropped my mic. Yeah, uh, no, this would be kind of like the, nah, maybe in the mid-90s. I'll, I'll find, I'll find a, uh, I'll find a, uh, a thing, a thing about it uh, online and post, post, a, post a link to it. But, uh, yeah, anyway. I went a couple, uh, just two seconds, a couple other questions. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, there were uh, there was a book about the devil worshiping in the eighties, and I, you had an episode on that where they actually said that the Necronomicon was regularly used by teens, so that you should take that book away from them. 
And that remember that Roderick, what's this guy? Roderick Justin Farrell, okay. who was the guy convicted for those vampire murders. Okay. He was like the leader of a little cult. He uh, supposedly a copy of the Necronomicon was introduced as evidence against him that he owned a copy. Oh, okay. So I just wanted to throw that in there. So, you know, still kind of modern reference, but okay. Cool. That's all I have. All right. So, so, so I've got to ask you the Korean questions. Okay. So uh, you, we, we, know, we know you're a lawyer. Uh, how old are you? I'm 37. 37. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, are, are, you, are you married? I am married. Married. And do, do you have children? No kids. Just dogs. Okay, okay, cool. And wow, you live in Los Angeles. Wow. Isn't there, aren't like half of sitcoms from the, or not sitcoms, half of TV dramas from the 80s, weren't they all about lawyers in LA or something like that? Yeah, pretty much. I miss that, that craze, apparently. I, I could be a TV star right now, but. Okay, cool. I'm assuming those were all real lawyers on their shows. Yeah. All right, and, uh, and I'll, I'll ask you too. I guess I mean, now I kind of got two final questions, but let me ask you the real official final question, which we've changed. Uh, it is now if uh, what science fiction or fantasy military would you join based solely on the uniform? Oh boy. <laughs> I guess I'd have to go with Stormtrooper, right? They have a pretty okay. cool uniform. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Okay, all right then. And uh, and and then now I also like to ask too, because uh, I don't want anything. This, this is the only podcast out there that asks for nothing. Uh, don't, don't review me on iTunes. Don't send me money. Uh, but my guests, if you see ever see my guests at a uh, you know Skeptics in the Pub or a Tam or something like that, you know, buy them a beer or something. But not not uh, probably about fifty fifty. Half my guests will take a beer, and the other fifty fifty or the other the other half are like. Uh, drink that much so well if people do encounter you in in real life and you know oh man you weren't you on conspiracy skeptic and you know can i touch the hem of your robe uh what what, what, what could they buy you they they could definitely buy me a beer they could actually buy me the other 50 percent of your guests they could buy me <laughs> if they right. want to Right. Uh, scotch is good. Okay, good. All right. So buy Stuart. Stuart's, Stuart's the beer Stuart Robbins doesn't want. They can buy you your beer and Stuart Robbins beer. And I yeah, and I, I think Stuart well, he was uh was he the chocolate? Was that what he liked? Yeah, he likes chocolate, yeah. So yeah, I would I would definitely buy Stuart uh, a chocolate bar. I think I mentioned that to him and his I was gonna buy him a Toblerone or something if I ever saw him. So Okay, cool. Oh, and I before I forget, I wanna yeah. to plug it. Daniel Harms and John Wisdom Gaunch Gauncy. Okay. And it's the Necronomicon files. So if you're interested in reading this and really it is super well referenced and it has everything you could want to know about the Necronomicon and the hoaxes and everything else. So, Cool. All right, then. Okay. And uh, do, you, do you, Joel, do you ever go to, like, do you go to skeptical conferences or skeptics in the pub things? You just sort of... I go to drinking skeptically uh, pretty regularly out here in L.A. Oh, great. And okay. I want to go to TAMS this year. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's going to be there, and I'd love to see him. Wow. He's, like, he's my... If I were gay, uh, I might be a little bit gay for Neil deGrasse Tyson. I gotta say, he's a sexy man. Sexy man. All right, yeah. Yeah, Tam Tam is a huge blast. You're pretty close being in in L.A. A little bit harder to get down there from Canada, but all roads lead to Vegas ultimately. So, uh, and uh, yeah, drinking skeptically. So, all right, right, so yeah, so if there's some... uh, if you go to this Los Angeles drinking skeptically and you listen to my podcast and you see Joel there, well, please buy him a beer, buy him a scotch, single malt, you know, <laughs> 25 years old at least minimum. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Come on. 
<laughs> All right, Joel. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. And, uh, and uh, time is money with lawyers, isn't it? Yeah, well, you'll be getting my bill soon. So. Okay, awesome. Okay. All right, well, th- thanks a lot, Joel. Thanks, thanks Thank for you very time. much, Carl. Okay, cool. And catch you on the SGU board. All right. All right, have a good night. You too. Bye-bye.